Shut up and sit down. Sunday's the end of the week, but it's the end of the work week for a lot of people, and it's the end of the month, and it's the end of National Novel Writing Month, um, and my time's on, we got about an hour left. Uh, I failed the national goal, but um, met my personal goal, having finished the story that I that I ended up wanting to write, um, and uh, so we're going to talk about Nano tonight, and um, what it is, and um, you know, to writers and all that jazz, because uh, uh, Julie had a big goal this month, um, 100K, uh, but she did meet the national goal of over uh, she over, um, over 50 earlier in the week, I do believe. Um, I'm gonna get her on the air, and then I'm going to um, actually I'm going to like abandon her for a second because I didn't go to the little girls' room before the podcast started. <laughs> Off with you. <laughs> off with me. I'm not at the age where I can put that off. Back in a few. All right. Um, yeah, I think I rolled over. I'm, I, where did I get to? I think I got to like 60K during the month. Um, I'm quite a bit ahead of that. Um. Sorry, I'm, I'm mousing left-handed, which is, which I I've done enough that I should be better at it than I am right now. Um, yeah, I was just over 60k the last time I posted. I think I'm at 68k, based on what I've got written right now. Um, my current the, the month was a little bit weird for me. There was just a lot of stuff that came up um, that kind of inter, kind of got in the way of my writing this month, which I swear to fuck that happens every single November. Um, November, I, whoever thought of November as being national novel the, the month, at least for U.S. audiences. Okay, I, that was a little egocentric for U.S. audience, but it is it did start in the U.S. It started in San Francisco. Um, Whoever thought November was a good month for a buckle down and write a novel was a fucking sadist. I'm just saying. Because it's not only are we prepping for one of the biggest U.S. holidays, which is Thanksgiving, towards the end of the month, which in this month it felt like it occurred in the fucking middle. That's hyperbole, but go with me. Um, Not only that, but there's also the prep for Christmas has already started to kick in. And sometimes family is arriving in the middle of November and it's just, it's, it's a, it's a bad time to try to write a novel. So, you know, kudos and props to everyone out there who got anything, gets anything written in November. It is not an easy month, um, particularly for people in the U S to, to accomplish, um, creative endeavors. Um, so I had a lot of stuff that kind of got in the way. Um, but I was pleased that I hit the, the, the nano goal. I am going to try. I'm still 
my goal. I mean, I would need to write like six, I think 6K a day to finish the story before posting ends on Rough Trade. And I'm going to shoot for that, but we'll see how it goes. Um, but I, my current chapter didn't go up yesterday because I'm I'm uncertain enough about it that I decided to wait and see how chapter 12 went before I posted chapter 11, which normally I don't do. I'm not usually like that. Normally if I finish a chapter, I put it up. But there's something about writing Thor that is so weird to me always. It, it's just it's a very difficult character voice for me to get into. Um, and I don't want him to come off as Shakespearean. So it it just takes me a little bit to settle into the groove of him. Um, I um so it, it it kind of I decided to just sit on the current chapter and see and get through chapter twelve and make sure that I was feeling okay about where I'm what I'm doing before I posted it and I'll probably post eleven and twelve together so when that does go up you'll get like a bonus you'll get two chapters in one um, and then I just need to you know get a chapter out a day to finish out uh, which is doable for me provided nothing else blows up that I don't impale myself on anything. And those of you who follow me on Facebook may have read that I did impale my leg um, this week. So that got to be kind of a, a thing. Um, yeah, I had to go, to go to tetanus shot, and now I'm going to have antibiotics, and you know, yeah. we're taking photographs and know. tracing red circles. I got out my um, nail kit to do my nails today. And I hesitated about pulling out that particular instrument, and then I just put it back in the box and shut the, and and shut the lid just in case. I was just like, no, nope, I don't need to borrow that. Just trouble. in case it accidentally impaled itself on you. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yours attacked you. I, I mean, you know, you never yeah, know. It sure did. I'm gonna. I'll post an image in chat of what I got um, stuck in my leg. Um, because I'm skilled and how I did it, folks. It, if if they had filmed it, you still wouldn't believe what the because it was the back of my leg. So this is really impressive. Um, okay, there's there's is, is that really the link? No, I don't know what link that was, but it was sort of demented. <laughs> what you're going to post is sort of demented <laughs> I know it's like so I got the lower portion of that the lower head the one on the bottom right that whole ta- tapered portion I got stuck in my back of my calf um, yeah and what is it te- <laughs> what, it's, um, you use it to clean underneath your nails it's what is that? Yes, uh, it's called a nail curette, and so it's like the filthiest thing in the planet. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, I mean, it wasn't like it was a catastrophic injury or anything like that, right? I mean, it wasn't like I impaled my abdomen with a screwdriver, but it is dirty. Um, Jeep didn't get the. I mean, I'll just give you the, I'll just give you the link, Jeep. I don't know if that'll come through. There, that's just the link. Um, 
And it, you know, your nails are like the dirtiest part of your body, and that's that's. I mean, that's above your butt, folks. Your nails are filthy. Okay. Um, now I'm a compulsive hand washer, and I scrub under my nails. My nails might be slightly cleaner than most people's, but still, your your hands, your nails, everything about that whole whole thing is filthy. So anything you recently used to clean your nails jammed into your body. No. Anyway, so not a big surprise to start getting. Or infected. in your mouth, um, or you know. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. So it's just it's, it seems like this is November for me. It's like unexpected injuries, families, deaths. I mean, it's just that's the way November goes. And so Nano often is a an exercise in managing obstacles, uh, life obstacles of some sort, and figuring out how to keep getting the writing time in around that. So um, I am pleased with everything that's gone on this month because there's been a lot of shit going on this month that I that I hey, at least month, it wasn't a head injury. Yeah, no, no traumatic brain injury this year, so that's good. And nobody died this year that I know of, so that's good. Um, you know, I'm sure people died, but nobody, nobody close to me that I know died that I know of. So, you know, one year I found out about a death way after it happened, but that hopefully won't be the case this time. Um, but I, um, you know, just some you know minor injuries, family drama, health drama, just a lot of little stuff that just like little obstacles to work around. But by the end of the day today, for me, I'll be close to 70k. So I mean, I'm pleased that I hit the novel, the novel goal. Even if I didn't get to the 100k in the month, which was my goal for the month, but considering, um, I'm I'm just I'm gonna, like I'm gonna I'm gonna take it I'm gonna take it I'm gonna be pleased with it. <laughs> The part where you were in the bathroom, I said that I decided I'm so um, uncomfortable with Thor's voice when I first start writing him that I decided to sit on Chapter 11 until Chapter 12 is done, and I'll post them together because I just want to get a little bit more into his character voice before – so I settle down a little bit about this part because I'm feeling all agitated about it, and I realize it is character voice, and I don't want him to come off Shakespearean. Um, Which I think so. is something that people fall into really easily. Um, yeah, you see it a lot with his character. He speaks his 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 language, especially in the first couple movies he's in, especially in Thor and in Avengers Assemble. His language is very formal, but it is not actually Shakespearean. He doesn't say the thou and. Um, stuff like that. So he um, he has a very he he doesn't use a lot of colloquialisms. Um, now he relaxes a little bit. By the time you get to um, you know Thor Ragnarok, he says something like, "I know I'm from work," which is a purely um, American expression that he had to pick <laughs> up. He did not pick that up on Asgard. Okay, so his no, language relaxes. It's actually, I think, the best line in Ragnarok. <laughs> And that yes. that lie, which was talking about that, is a little girl. I think I want to say it was a Make a Wish girl, Make Make a Wish kid who was on set, but it might have. The little girl was on set and told him that he should say that when he sees the Hulk, is that he knows him from work. So he ad libbed that in. <laughs> it's the best line in the whole movie. I hope she got credit for it, because. Um, But he, yeah, it's just you, you. You hit weird stumbles when you're writing. Sometimes that you anticipate. And I've written 
Thor before, and I had the same issues the last time I wrote him. I just he wasn't a central character, so or even a secondary character. He was in like one scene, and I was like, oh my god, he's so hard to write. Um, then you went and, and so made him a he, central part of your main pairing. I don't even know what to do with him. I know, and now I have to. I can't have him being all, even even borderline Shakespearean. You know, while there's a sex scene happening, that's just weird. So, um, I had to, you know, try to. I'm trying to walk that line of of balancing the formality of his his language, um, the nuance of his speech, without getting that kind of, you know, old world Shakespeare vibe going on. So. Um, Anyway, it's just it, it just it it was a weirdly uncomfortable thing for me. All of a sudden, it's like I was in my I thought I was in my groove, and then I hit that scene, and I was like, "What the fuck? This is so off." <laughs> so, well, um, the thing is, is I think that we both um, have a very similar skill set when it comes to dialogue. Dialogue isn't a place where we normally stumble. Stumble. Yeah. So. And stumbling some, there and, and in a some, place where you're actually normally really comfortable would be a that way. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with me? It does. It I need to talk about it. Do I? Well, it's like some characters. Um, I have strategies for writing some characters that are like a little bit more difficult to write. Like I have, like I was mentioning to somebody you know, on the writer's table about how I approach writing Ducky, um, which is that I try to give, you know, use use five words when one would do for starters. But I also just accept with Ducky that I'm going to do a, I'm going to grab my thesaurus when I am editing him, not when I'm writing, but when I'm editing. I'll try to use a fairly high level of erudition with him anyway, which I can do to some degree, but that level I need to go back with an edit and and with the thesaurus and find the biggest sentence the biggest word sentence impossible for some things um <laughs> so i have an approach so i have an approach for how i handle some characters that are a little bit difficult to write um and it usually involves my rough draft not being very good or not being the way i would want it on the dialogue front um and then but it's really that's a, really doesn't that didn't doesn't work for me with Thor for some reason. I feel like that he's central, and I can't. I feel like I need to get what he's saying right because there's. I don't want you know. There's there's too much hinging off of in the plot off of what he says, and if I go and edit what he says later, then some then then everybody else's responses are may not necessarily make sense. So. Um, I don't know, it just felt really important, especially in his first couple of scenes, that I not have to do a giant edit and change the nature of what he's saying later. But yeah, he's just a really hard character, and it, it's strictly it's strictly a, a nuance of a language nuance thing that makes him difficult. And I don't have a hard time writing formal people who have formal language. You know, like when I write. Um, Harry Potter when I'm writing like almost anybody who grew up in the wizarding world I use a more formal speech pattern for them mm-hmm. um, because I don't it's very natural in the wizarding world. kind of fall yeah. into that yeah you just kind of do it you just kind of go okay these people aren't, aren't going to use a lot of colloquialisms they're not going to have the same idioms they're not going to use a lot of you know 
Um, just things like they're not going to use as many contractions. They'll use some, but not as many. I mean, there's just there's just ways you kind of adapt. It's pretty easy for me to do typically. I don't know why Thor throws me. Um, and maybe it's just because it may be completely Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, their first encounter, where he says, Doth mother knowest you wearest her drapes? I mean, that might be <laughs> my whole stumbling block. It might be Tony Stark's fault. <laughs> Which, you know, I, that line was ad-libbed. Yeah, it's I feel like that kind was actually of. Robert Downey Jr. talking more than it was Tony Stark. Um, not that they aren't practically one and the same. I think he's just one <laughs> um, bad science experiment away from being Iron Man anyway. But um, uh, it, just, it, 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 it seemed like he just kind of slid that in, you know. Yeah, so, and I think, because a lot of times I see people write Thor as if his language was like the way Robert Downey Jr. was mocking him. Um, Right. And he does, now Thor does use some odd terms of phrase, like he calls Coulson son of coal. That is a really antiquated way of approaching Coulson, right? So, I mean, in to some ways I get it, but... Um, yeah, it, it's just that that whole full-on Shakespeare thing um, is just it, it. It actually isn't the way he speaks at all. So the fact that that's where we go when we're writing him is um, it, it. It makes him feel really wrong. Because if actually if it was the full-on Shakespeare thing, I would have that easier time writing that. The problem is when it starts to come out that way, I know it's wrong and it trips me up. And who knew I'd have an easier time writing Deadpool than Thor? I mean, that just totally messes with me. I am not surprised by that at all, actually. I am. Deadpool I was like, I thought the vicious smartass in all of us. Well, that's probably true. Because somebody, somebody says, asked me what to... Deadpool says the shit we want to say, but don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, somebody asked me what if I would ever consider writing Deadpool, and I said, oh, there's no way I could do justice to his voice. I couldn't capture him. And then, you know, all it takes is me getting sleepy and a little bit punch drunk, and I'll, next thing you know, I'm like, yeah, why not? I'll write you know, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. I haven't slept in two days. One, Perfect. One stumbling block for me, as far as characters go, is I I did not think that I would be able to um, really write good dialogue for for Dano on Hawaii Five O. Um, and so as I approach that scene in Ascendant where um, Dano comes to uh, the coffee shop to get Steve, um, I was like, okay, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? It, it, it has to be, because this, this is my only moment really to get him right as far as, you know, how he handles a stressful situation. Because with, with him on the beach, it was, you know, them being, you know, friends and everything. But in that moment, I... I had to bring the Dano, and I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And it came out, and I'm like, well, that wasn't bad. <laughs> like, that I had okay. built that up to be a lot okay. more than it was. <laughs> well, you, you do that, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I felt like in that moment when 
when, when Danny, you know, kind of took charge of Steve, um, that that it was a moment that that, that I had to get right. That the tone had to be, um, wherein that you know that Danny, you know, on the scene. I got this. I got you. You can trust me. And you know, and you want the reader to trust Danny too in that moment because Steve is so vulnerable. And so, yeah. but yeah, it was like a it, it was a moment for me, and I'm like, that was just so crazy. What was wrong with me? <laughs> and I do feel like well, in that moment, Danny is the most Danny he is in the entire story, although he only has two scenes. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I would rather build it up as being a big problem in my mind and get there and not have a problem with it and be like, oh, yay, versus think I'm going to have no issue and then fall flat on my face. Right. You know. I You guys, sometimes I get flapped by my own cockiness. It's like, oh, I'm going to have no problem with that. Oh, I had a big problem with that. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, huge problem with that. I had a huge problem with that. I'm having a hard time, I think. Um, and I'm trying to think about the, the nanos that I've had that were really successful um, and just the RC projects that I felt like were really successful. And I feel like I stumbled the most with Stargate, and I don't know why. I'm very comfortable in Stargate. I'm very comfortable with the characters and my characterization and... I have a host of OCs, and um, I just I don't know why I stumble with 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 that fandom so much on Rough Trade. Maybe it's the fandom where I don't know. there's things you're doing in your process that you're you hadn't you hadn't even noticed that you're doing when you're writing like you know on your own that it's biting you when you are writing kind of in that pseudo live environment. Could be. I just don't know what it is. It's just it's really frustrating. I think all of my successful rough trades. Other than this, I don't think. I don't think November has not gone well for me in a in a rough trade um, in a long time. Not since the first one. I don't think I might be missing. I might be forgetting something. But I think I've had major problems every November. April winds up being much more successful for me, <laughs> typically when it comes to finishing a story or, you know, um, meeting my goals and that kind of thing. Bad shit is, I, I don't know if I want to jinx myself, but so far bad shit has not been happening in April. It used to be I moved every year in <laughs> April. It was every fucking year we moved in April. I don't know why. Well, because your lease is up, right? So um, once you get into that cycle, <laughs> you know, yeah, but. That, that that's not where I'm not at now. Now my lease is up in November, so if I have to move again, it'll be in November. <laughs> uh, but you like your new place, right? Yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean, there's this whole. I think you hesitated too much and, there. Well, there is this issue with. I mean, I live in. The, I, I came from the Bay Area, right? And there's tons of bridges, so like people talk about there being a bridge and it being a traffic issue with the bridge, I just kind of wasn't thinking anything about it because we always had traffic issues with bridges, but if one bridge was a problem, you just went to a different bridge. Anyway, I'm up here and there's one bridge, like literally one, to cross like the biggest river. 
and it's like one bridge and it's like 20 miles out of the way to get to a different bridge and sometimes there's problems on that bridge too and it's sort of like I don't want to get stranded on this side of the river why because there's nothing over here so the place I live is fine there's just this (laughs) issue with a river and a bridge and really bad traffic and me losing my mind sitting in the car And then I feel bad because it's like, you know, I'm thinking, what the fuck is going on now? What idiot changed lanes without signaling on the bridge and caused this accident? And here we are sitting on this road. We haven't moved in like 25 minutes. And then I find out like on the news somebody killed themselves, fault jumping off the bridge. And I'm like, okay, well, now I feel like an asshole for being so irritated because somebody was so unhappy that they killed themselves jumping off this bridge. And that's why the traffic was so bad. But anyway. I have a comparable but not really story. So, about five years ago, I am in traffic, and I am stuck in traffic, and I was supposed to meet my mother somewhere. So, I call her and say, I'm I'm running late. There's some fucked up shit in front of me. Um, looks like an idiot had a car accident. Where are you? She said, I'm the idiot in the car accident. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, are you okay? Said, oh, my God. Yes. She said, the asshole behind me rear-ended me. I'm fine. I'm like, for fuck's sake. I said, well, he's the idiot in the car accident. She said, well, I'm one of the idiots in the car accident. So I finally get up there, and I pull over, and I'm like, what's taking so long? There was there was barely any damage to either one of the cars. The state trooper was taking his damn sweet time right writing everything out, and I'm like, and so and I really didn't real I didn't realize he was as close to us as he was. And so I turned to the other guy. I said, "What did he go chop down a tree to make paper?" <laughs> no, ma'am. I'm done now. I said that'd be great. Thank you, officer. <laughs> If my mom called me every time she's an offender bender, that's all she would do. She has the worst luck. In fact, her luck was so bad with one vehicle that her insurance company suggested she traded in because the vehicle was bad luck. Her insurance agent actually suggested she change her car in and not to get a red one (laughs) since her vehicle was red. (laughs) And, um... Uh, she had had uh, not a single one of them was her fault. Um, she, she, someone had hit her in a park um, in, in a parking garage. Um, she'd gotten scraped um, going down the, the interstate um, by another vehicle, and they both you know they all pulled over. So she had all these these little incidents, and I was like, so she got a new vehicle. Three weeks after she got it, she hit a road sign trying to figure out how to turn on her AC in her new vehicle. Oh, my God. So, so I enrolled much better her. off in her old vehicle. So, right. So I enrolled her in a class because in Ford, at Ford. Ford actually has a class to teach you how to use your vehicle. She has one of those big old oh, monstrous please. SUV um, Ford Explorers, and it is more complicated than the space shuttle. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they are. There's a two-hour class um, on the floor. That is ridiculous. 
No one should have to have a two-hour class or have to use stupid environmental control. And some of those vehicles are really advanced. I mean, like, I have a friend who has one of those big big Ford Expedition things, and they're a feature. She's had this vehicle for, like, three years. They're a feature she still hasn't learned how to use. She's like, I know that this does this, but I actually don't know where the controls for it are. I'm like, okay. Um, but I don't blame her. I mean, there's so many buttons in her car. I mean, uh, I'm like, wow. She got, she's like mission control, She man. got a new iPhone. She got an iPhone, and it hooked up to her vehicle. And so now, not only can Siri boss her around on her phone and on her tablet, but also in her car. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> she called. She she was in my driveway, and um, I was going out the front door. All of a sudden, I heard, shut the fuck up, Siri. <laughs> it was my mom in the driveway cussing out Siri on her on her car radio because it was interfering with her with her playing of her music I hear you I hear you she gets she can be very intrusive sometimes but that's what she's there for she's there to tell us what to do now I'm an Um, Android user myself so um, I do have um, yeah I have Google on my phone and I have a um I have a Kindle tablet, and Alexa keeps stalking me around the house. <sighs> no, Alexa, you know, I, got, like, I car- do not want to shop on Amazon right now. <laughs> Thank you for No, asking. I really don't, Alexa. <laughs> do you want me to, should we place an order for that? No, you should not. You should absolutely not <laughs> you be placing order. should never place an order, Alexa. <laughs> you unbelievable tart. No. <laughs> You know, I got I got in a car accident on the way to work once. But um, oh, that, that that's serious though because we were in the kitchen and my husband said I I need to put paper towels on the um, grocery list and my Kindle lit up and said should I order them on Amazon or something like that should I place an order in uh, Amazon Prime or something I was like no <laughs> no what is the matter with you you should not do that. <laughs> We don't need you in our conversation. This is an A and a B. You to see your way out. <laughs> Quit listening to me, you, you unbelievable tart. <laughs> so your car accident on the way to work. Okay, so I got somebody, somebody drove. They changed lanes into me, and I got driven off the road going in on a freeway. Right as there was like a split in the freeway, so I went into those sand barrels, you know, that they have there for that purpose, so that if you crash, you crash into the sand barrels onto the concrete. Um, and um, anyway, so I don't, I don't find out about any of this till later, but um, a couple of hours pass, and my boss is looking for me. And, um, I'm, of course, I'm not at work because I'm, I'm well into a visit the emergency room at that point. And um, he's, he's, like, talking to me. He's, like, anybody seen Jilly? Has anybody seen Jilly? Where is she? And, like, one well, of my friends like, I, I haven't seen her this morning. I tried calling her, but she's not answering her phone. And it's just, you know, everybody's, like, chiming in. And all of a sudden, one of the guys, this is the most laconic guy in, in the group, like, oh, yeah, she got in a car accident this morning. And um, I was like, what? He's like, yeah, she's in a car accident. Um, 
He's like, how do you know? She called you? Why would she call you? He's like, no, 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 I drove right past her on the way to work. And he's like, you drove past her. Is she okay? <laughs> like, I don't know. The paramedics were trying to get her out of the car when I drove by, so I guess she's okay. She wasn't. They wouldn't wow. be trying to get her out of the car if she was dead. And he's like, yeah, he, she, they wouldn't be trying to get her out of the car if she was dead. And I, <laughs> just like, okay, I was you trapped in my car. So anyway, so about I guess it was about an hour after that. So everybody's like, "Oh, oh my God, I hope she's okay." And I'll put off this conference call because what happened is one of the customers I was talking with had called and said I had no showed on a conference call, of course, because I was in the hospital. Anyway, so I come limping in about two hours after that <laughs> because I was really I, I can't. I'm, I'm not always very sensible when I've a have a head injury and b you know I'm stressed out. So. Um, I come limping into work about two hours later, um, and everybody's just staring at me. I'm like, what? What? And I'm like, weren't you just in a car accident? I was like, yes. I have to get on this conference call. <laughs> and all of a sudden, my boss turns up with the director of HR and says, we're going to take you downstairs, and you're going to sit with the director of HR until we get somebody to take you home. <laughs> I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> She's like, where are you? Where are you I got a conference car call. That conversation, were you not pulled out of your car a couple of hours ago by the paramedics? I said, how do you know that? I was like, how could you possibly know that? I wasn't planning on, I actually said this, I wasn't planning on telling you that. coworkers <laughs> 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 drove past you on the way to work. I was like, oh, well, fine. If you're going to make me go home, you say, yeah, and you can't. Matter of fact, you can't come back until you have a doctor's note. And I was like, that is the most unfair thing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> doctor's note. How old do you think I am? He said, apparently not old enough to take care of yourself. <laughs> That's kind of appalling. I'm an adult. But speaking of adults, this was hilarious. It wasn't hilarious at the time. I was actually kind of pissed. Okay, so I go into the cafe, and you know, Fetus works there. Um, and he uh, he's, he sees me in line, and he gets this look on his face like, he doesn't know what to do with himself. And I'm like, I haven't even said jack shit to this kid. He needs to man up. I need to break, I need to, I need to toughen him up or the world's going to eat him alive. And I'm thinking this. So I get up there and he stares at me for a second. He goes, I need an adult. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? <laughs> I said, Venus, what is wrong with you? He said, I can't say it. I can't say it. And then he walked away and he just called the over and he goes, ma'am. The espresso machine is down. I said, the fuck you say? I said, I need an adult. <laughs> so he needed, he needed a grown-up to come and break the news to you that, that you couldn't have coffee? He probably did need an adult for that. <laughs> so the manager comes over. I said, what happened? What happened to the espresso machine? It is new. And he said, I know it's new. I said, well, I'm not going to add to your pay, but what are we going to do about this situation? <laughs> he said, well, the French press do. And I'm like, I didn't bring mine. <laughs> that was not on my list today. And so he got me. He got me one. And he set me up with some Kona. It was, it was okay, but it, it wasn't while I was there. <laughs> I wasn't there for that. We all needed an adult. <laughs> So I'm gonna need a cookie for this food. This is ridiculous. We're all having a moment <laughs> this is here. <terrible. laughs> 
was my first real problem right there. The espresso machine was broken. This kid looked. I was like, come here, fetus. Come here. I said, you need to man up. I said, there are people in this town that would eat you alive in the unfun way. <laughs> he went, oh, God. <laughs> he walked away again. I turned to his coworker. I said, look, you guys got to do something about him. You need to break him in, take him out, get him laid, because this is this is ridiculous. <laughs> the other morning, my sister my my sister's taken to making me cappuccinos like almost every morning, um, which is like the best thing ever. And she makes really good cappuccinos. So she says, I get, I get up one morning, and usually about the time it's just the timing is just great that I'm usually getting up about the time that she's about done with the coffee. And um, she says, I'm not in the mood to make coffee today. And I I must have had this expression like the world was just over because she wasn't going to make coffee. And she says, says, well, okay, the real issue is I'm not in the mood to foam milk this morning. So I'll make coffee, but I'm not going to foam the milk. I'm just going to dump it in there. I was like, well, all right. (laughs) So... I was just so, well, that's the best I can get. I guess I'll take it. So, yeah, she got the, she did do that. But I was like, there's no frothy milk in here. It's just not, it's the same. You can't froth your own milk? No. (laughs) Be serious. I'm not trying to. Don't you have a machine for it? Can you give me an idea what might happen to me if I tried to froth milk? Um, Don't you have a machine for that? No, we use a French press. We use a French press to froth the milk. It makes really good, nice microfoam. Um, So it's just a lot of, you know, pumping. The French press. Pump, 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 pump. Oh, well, you know what you could do? You could heat the milk in the microwave and stick it in a blender. Push a button. Oh, that's an interesting idea. I could try that. That's what I do. Still, so I don't have a problem myself. Um, but I use a bullet blender. You know, one of those Nutri Bullet things. Mm-hmm. I heat my milk and and I pour it in a little cup and I stick it in the thing and push the button and then pour it in my coffee. If it works, it works. It works. So all the frothing is doing is adding air to the milk. So after you heat the milk and you've, um, uh, what you called it, it's not actual caramelization. I mean, sort of. Um, well, no, I don't buy whole milk. Um, I, I do. Use that's what I use. Whole milk has less carbs than 2% milk. Not by a lot, but the fat um, trade-off isn't worth it. My dietician actually told me to switch to diet whole milk, so that was like one of the, like, really? I was like, really? All right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I only have milk well, and coffee. I, mean, I, I, in my... I, I, I have cereal on occasion, but milk isn't really a staple in my diet, so one cup of whole milk a day isn't going to kill me. Oh, me and my husband go through two gallons of milk a, oh, a week. Easily. 
No, I mean, there's a couple of I'm just a flock lady to get a glass of milk because I am to get a glass of tea. Ugh. No, I can't drink drink milk. Gross. No. <laughs> you weirdo. <laughs> I'm not a baby cow. I'm not drinking milk. <laughs> Wait, are you calling me a baby cow? I don't Girl, I know where milk. you live. <laughs> <laughs> I put milk in my coffee. Um, I don't like creamer. Um, I don't like half and half. No. I prefer milk in my coffee. Um, yeah. You know, that milk pro thing, it really isn't much different than a stick blender, which I've got. Yeah, I don't find those things. We we tried that. Like, it was, of, of all the methods we tried to froth milk, that was the least efficient. The stick blender, it makes me nervous, especially when you have hot liquid i wouldn't want to i mean i i tried it but i was like really really nervous about the whole thing i'm like well what if it like you know bursts up out of there and <laughs> i'm covered in hot milk <laughs> that's not going to be good but i really prefer the 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 blender the the neutral blender the the bullet um mm-hmm. because you can make as as you want to and it's all you got to do is i haven't tried it in the morning the French press works great. It makes really nice microfoam. The foam is very fine and very kind of lush. But I'm definitely will try the blender because it does take a while to do that with the French press. But last night of coffee trauma was um, Thanksgiving after dinner. My cousin's like, "Do you guys want coffee?" And we're like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." And like, "Do you guys even want milk in their coffee?" Like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Everybody's like, "Yeah." So I'm thinking there's gonna be milk coming out. No, there's a bottle of coconut, the thing of coconut milk creamer, and I was like, what the fuck Wait. is that? <laughs> what is that thing? I'm like, oh, it's really good. It, I'm like, I don't want coconut coffee. That no. was not what I signed up for. I, I have to mentally prepare myself for coffee variations, and I was not prepared for that. I'm just not having it. It was not good. Um, I am 100% on the nope train. The only... um. Flavorings I will allow in coffee is chocolate or vanilla, sometimes cinnamon. That's it. I'm definitely a big no on the vanilla front. But chocolate, really? Fine. Chocolate and coffee or chocolate? I like, a, like. I, I like a certain kind of vanilla. I don't like a French vanilla that has that alcohol undertone. I don't like that at all. I'm no. I'm really not on board that train. I can do chili in my coffee. That doesn't bother me. I've had that, like, at certain restaurants. They serve a, a really heavy coffee yeah. with, like, chili in it. That's fine. But that's a really odd. That's something I'd ever make for myself at home. Home, it's just, just give me the fucking coffee and put the milk in it. Actual milk, please. Not half and half or certainly not Actual weird milk, coconut yeah. creation. No I don't like half and half. I don't like Kramer. My husband lives for creamer. There are like six different kinds of creamer in the in the, in the fridge right now. There's caramel, uh, uh, hazelnut. Now hazelnut itself is not bad, but hazelnut creamer is ridiculous. It's just what no. Yeah. Um, I I would rather melt Nutella in the microwave and pour it in my coffee. <laughs> 
I'm just saying. I wouldn't do either. But if I had to choose between, I would prefer that right out of the jar in my coffee. Than, uh, and he also has like a peppermint mocha and uh, um, something else. It's just, it's just terrible. You know, a, a sweet high and cream is in there too. And um, uh, a Bailey's Irish maybe. I don't know. It's just not. I don't. I'm, I'm not on I board. I don't. I don't like anything sweet in hot coffee. Sweet is for cold coffee. That's like frappuccinos, coffee, ice cream. I'm down with sweet there. But <sighs> I love coffee. I'm ice not cream. down. I am not down for any kind of sweet in a hot coffee. No. 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 If you want a nice, hot co- nice coffee ice cream drink, um, I like Sonic's. Um, coffee milkshake, basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, it is. Okay, so Nano, Nano, National Novel Writing Month or National Sadism Month because they should have done it in October, fuckers. I agree. I think October actually would be a better date. Um, yeah. I mean, I know that November is not the stressful month worldwide that it is in the U.S., but it did start in the U.S. I mean, it started in San Francisco, so it is not like it's, it's not like it's without our, you know, we could have picked a better date. I'm just saying, if we were going to start this, we could have done it in October, but it wouldn't have made as catchy a, a, you know, acronym, so... Well, originally, apparently, it was in July. Someone looked it up on um, Wikipedia. It was in July, and they moved it to November. Oh, that would explain why they started doing Camp Nano in July, because that is when Camp Nano is, and probably we're kind of like honoring their roots or something. And my goal, my goal for this nano, my my primary goal beyond the word count. I mean, my guess was that my plot was 100k, and I'm pretty sure that's dead on right. Um, but um, my primary goal, my primary thing was to not not have another nano project unfinished. Um, so even though. My push to finish it by the 5th is going to be about me not having another nano project unfinished by the end of the year rather than any other impetus for finishing it. I just am tired of coming out of nano with unfinished projects. So, you know, I just keep my fingers crossed that nothing happens between now and, you know, the 5th. Because I really, you know, and I need to get it done before my parents get here because it's just, it's a crapshoot if I'm going to be able to write when they're around. So... You just, I never know. I certainly want to write, but every year that they've been around, I haven't been able to. So, And congratulations to everybody who finished. I know we had a bunch of people, not a bunch, probably three or four people in the last 48 hours who put up their last part. And congrats, in addition to the people who finished early in the month. Um, Ellie not only finished, um, 
at, at above the novel length level. She finished early, and she says it's the longest thing she's ever written. Um, so that's a lot of milestones for you. So congratulations. I always look forward to having all of the to, to the nano projects being done, and when I get done with my writing, I can dig in and go in and start reading some stuff. Because sometimes I can follow multiple projects and write, but this just hasn't been one of those months. <laughs> I'm having a hard time concentrating, um, so I haven't been reading. Um, I just, um, I'm, I'm just all blah. I'm just. Well, my memory retention seems really shit right now, and you know, I found out my thyroid's really off yesterday. When I went yesterday, I got some lab, my labs. I found out my thyroid's really bad. So, it's probably something you do with my memory and concentration issues. So. Could be. It's Could hard. Be. With, it's hard with a work in progress and reading work in progress. But if you're having a problem remembering things, to read work in progress, it might not be updated for several days because I don't remember finding time to read one part or something is is hard enough. But having to read that same part multiple times because I can't keep a hold of the plot thread, which is one of the reasons why I don't read works in progress usually, is because I don't remember the last thing the author posted. And rereading a chapter over and over and over again so that I can pick up the plot thread is, I mean, I, I don't get enough Annoying. time to read anyway. I don't want to be rereading. So um, some people can do that just fine. I'm just not one of those people that really want to do that. So, and especially when I'm having a hard time with concentration and memory, that's a bad time for me to be reading works in progress. So, you know, some people are great about posting on a regular basis, but you never know. You can't put that expectation on somebody. So, I just, in a time when I'm having a hard time with my memory, it's not. I just know better than to read works in progress because <laughs> I'm not going to remember what was previously written the next time the person posts. So. You can't take you can't have coffee after thyroid medicine. There's a whole bunch of stuff you're not supposed to have, but typically the I you know my my endocrinologist just told me don't have anything after you take your thyroid medicine. So just you know give it an hour before you have anything besides water. So I get up, I take it. Well, can you take it before you go to bed, stuff. and then you don't have to worry about it? No, I take it in the morning, but I take it. You, you really need to take it at the same time every day. So um, even though I'm, even if I don't go to bed till six, my alarm goes off at seven thirty for me to take it, which is sometimes harsh. But I still get up, I take it, go back to bed. It must just be what you got to do. Yeah, it, it can be activating for a lot of people. So. Um, they usually have you take it in the morning. I do have one friend who does not find it activating at all, but she takes a baby dose. Um, she takes like half of 25 micrograms um, compared to the 200 I take. So that's what I mean for, for reference scale. So she doesn't find that 12 and a half milligrams to be terribly activating, which I'm not surprised. It's not a whole lot of thyroid hormones. So I would take 200 micrograms before bed. I won't take that chance. So. Yeah, and you can't have it with soy at all. So if the, I, I usually give it a couple hours before you have any kind of soy. The soy can affect its absorption. 
So it's just usually take it on, my doctor will take it on an empty stomach and don't eat or drink anything besides water for an hour. And you won't have to worry about any specific foods you can't take it with. So um, I like it when I, it, somebody gives me a, a, a straightforward, clear-cut thing like that rather than me having to remember six different things I can't have with it. Yeah, some people, I mean, I know some people take different doses per day. Um, it's good, especially once you get into some tablets, they can't really get you the dose you need. So, like, they'll have you take a lower dose one day and a higher dose the next. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it, it's kind of like a, a little bit of an art that they get into with that. Is they, they, you know, jiggle doses by tiny amounts sometimes. And But, yeah, some people can take it at night. It's just most people can't, so the general guidance is that you would take it in the morning. And so I get up every morning, even if I didn't go to bed till five or six o'clock, and I take my pill and I go back to bed. <laughs> so you probably could take it at night. <laughs> well, if you slept at yeah. night. <laughs> yes, I probably could. I could probably take it in the afternoon. And yeah, exactly. If it wasn't for pill boxes, I would not know if I'd taken my pills. I'd wake up and go, "Hell, I have no idea. I don't remember." Because I was yeah, half, I was asleep I when say. it happened. Yeah, my, my my pillbox is a lifesaver because I don't keep track. I, I can't keep track of it. It's got all the days, and I thankfully only have morning and evening pills. <clears throat> my mom's got morning, afternoon, and evening. I have five pill sorters, so I guess that's five times a day. I never really thought of it like that. I was like, well, there's four right there. There's one in the bedroom. That's five. I guess I take them five times a day. But part of that is this has to be taken on an empty stomach. This has to be taken with food, but they're both taken near lunch. <laughs> I was like, okay. That's so, bullshit. Okay, yeah. I can, um, I'm like, gonna need I'm like, whatever. That's just, that's just getting a make cruelty. a decision. Take this one in your stomach, take this one that's like, food. That's like um, my, uh, I had to have my gallbladder removed. So my doctor said, okay, um, you need to um, avoid uh, um, it was like the exact opposite of my diabetes diet. Like, um, I need to, um, I can have fruits and, um, um, breads and, and, and potatoes and I need to avoid, um, high fat meats and, or just meat in general, roughage. And I'm like, so I can't have, I mean, I said, so basically, and I can't even have rice. So basically I'm supposed to eat fish the rest of my life, but she was like, well, I said, I'm diabetic. I can't live on fruit and bread. I said, it'll kill me. <laughs> and she went, oh, God, that's right. She says, okay, just fish. I was like, that's right. That is not the answer. <laughs> that is not the answer. But after you get your gallbladder out, sometimes it's it's more difficult to digest things. And so they tell you to avoid red meat and roughage and um, the things like broccoli and, and Brussels sprouts and um 
because it's more difficult for you to digest. The thing is, is because I'm diabetic, that that is the whole of my diet. Well, because those are kind of like, those are almost like free foods for me. Because if I'm really hungry, I could pack away a whole head of iceberg lettuce. Not saying I would or I could, but I could do it. And it wouldn't impact my sugar. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there have been times in my life when I have eaten a whole head of iceberg lettuce. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was inordinately fond of iceberg lettuce. <laughs> it's very easy to do. <laughs> Especially if you cut it in a wedge and, and, and toss some dressing on it. That's done. <laughs> but yeah, and so, you know, after I got um, settled after my gallbladder surgery, I figured out the foods that I would have a problem eating and what I wouldn't. And for really me, mostly the only thing that I have a difficult time eating um, is red meat. Did I stop eating it? No. <laughs> no. I'll be like, no. Is it a problem? Sometimes. That's okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> Sometimes it's a problem and you just go, okay, I'm going I'm to deal with the problem. And, you know, honestly, I cannot leave Mexican restaurant. Without, I can't leave the scene of the crime. I just put it that way. <laughs> it's a crime. It's a crime scene. Like, literally anything in the world is safer than romaine right now. I know, right? I could have bacon and chocolate. It's not romaine. (laughs) It's not romaine. I'm fine, right? I, someone made a comment, someone made a comment to me with the romaine thing, and they go, it's like, it's ridiculous that they can't figure out where this problem is coming from, and I was like, because it can't be all the lettuce in the country contaminated at the same time. I said, wow, you really don't have anything any clue how our supply chain works, do you? <laughs> so you get that growers sell to multiple distributors. <laughs> there's literally, there's, it, it, and if, if they're having outbreaks in multiple states, they're looking at a big distributor who works with multiple growers, and those multiple growers work with multiple distributors. So tracking down exactly which farm is the culprit is really, really difficult. The only time it's easy was when it's a small farm and you got a very localized outbreak that you can track to that one small farm. I said, but when it's a big seller, like Dole, Ready Fresh, Taylor Farms, any of those guys, <laughs> it's going to be really, really good. If that's where the, if, yeah, it's really hard to then to track back which farm is the culprit. Because if they can track back to which farm it came from, then they can narrow it down, determine where the safe romaine is. But they don't want people dying while they're trying to do to figure that out, and it isn't easy to figure out. So, but they were just so dismissive of that. I'm like, you get that feeding 300 million people is not, you know, it's not a trivial logistical problem, right? And so when there's problems, it's not always easy to figure out exactly where the problem is. Yeah, I would guess. I've been if you, buying. If you grew them. We were saying in the chat that there's a, a local place that sells romaine because they have their own greenhouse and that their prices are crazy right now. And I, was, oh yeah, 
because if they can, if they've got a safe source of romaine and people really want it, yeah, they they can charge pretty much whatever they want for it right now. I replaced my romaine with bib. I hate bib lettuce. I can't stand it. I'd rather just cut the lettuce out of my salad. I'd rather just have, like, you know, everything except the lettuce and just leave the salad out, leave lettuce out. Then well, you, you could do um, a mixed green. You could do spinach. Mix, no. Mixed greens um, and spinach are a different kind of salad for me. Like, I put, like, nuts and berries and stuff in, in those kind of greens that shorthand it to that bitterness more. The well, kind of stuff I had in the take house. Take your butt down in there and get you an iceberg. <laughs> yeah, well, the kind of stuff I had was... Well, yeah, I, I'd rather just have it without the lettuce. The kind of stuff I had in the house for salad was the kind of stuff that I would put in a green salad, like a green leaf, like a green leaf lettuce or a romaine salad, iceberg salad, that kind of thing. And um, I'm actually fine with it without the lettuce. It, it's 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 it seems weird, but it actually isn't actually all that strange. I just cut everything up in little cubes, all the chopped salad, <laughs> slap the salad dressing on it, and go. <laughs> Um, I am, yeah, I am right now, I'm currently mixing spinach and bib lettuce or butter lettuce, if, um, ever how you might want to say it. I actually, I enjoy the bib lettuce, but I also like, um, uh, uncooked spinach. Um, I don't I like kale. No, kale's too I, I like chard. Chard is okay. Is that, is, is, is that how you say that, chard? I was say chard, but I mean, who? I don't Shard. actually know. Um, but um, but I cooked that. I put it in. Um, yeah, stir fries. It's too. It's weird raw to me. But well, spinach I prefer raw. Not I can't stand cooked spinach. But chard I prefer cooked. So it's and I'm not a big kale fan. But I can deal with kale. But I'm not a big fan. But bib, bib lettuce, it's not the taste. My opinion is that kale is on the salad bar. Kale is the decoration on the salad bar. It's not meant to be eaten. Well, what's sad is we took something that was edible and we turned it into a decoration. (laughs) But it is quite bitter. And we... it's taken us. It's taken us a while to to kind of dig in and get you know really adopt the more bitter greens as a staple part of the diet. I made the horrible discovery that I had a salad with these baby dandelion greens in them, and I loved it. I loved those baby dandelion greens. Turns out, baby dandelion greens and dandelion greens don't taste anything alike <laughs> at all. Dandelion greens are the most bitter thing I think I've ever put in my mouth. I was like, "What the fuck is this shit?" That is disgusting. Um, I just, I just tossed those fuckers straight out. I was like, "No." <laughs> Lady Holder stumbled across something that I had never had. Um, in garlic, um, greens. The, um, the, uh, um, the green, yeah, and I found some. I really enjoyed them. They were nice. I put them in my salad. We have a lot of greens fans in the chat room, apparently. I don't like collard greens. Um, that's just grass. No. The only way I like collard greens me out to the yard when... to cut collard greens along the fence so she could cook it. Uh-uh. That's grass. <laughs> the, only time, eating it. the only time I even re- remotely like collard greens is when they're made that way. They make them in the south where it's basically 
nothing good for you has been preserved, and they put in a lot of bacon and ham and um, sometimes full-on lard in there to yeah. um, replace all the nutrition that they've cooked out of those greens. <laughs> it's like, uh, I, I don't find them, and actually I don't find them so good that I would, I think it's worth all the fat. Yeah. But nobody, I haven't had to deal with anybody offering me a mess of greens since I lived in the South, so it just doesn't happen. A mess of greens. Yeah. And it would be a mess of greens. It is. It is a big old mess. (laughs) I always thought of it. Yeah, that's my grandma. She just handed me the old plate, the old plate full of greens. My grandma, I don't want that. Ew. I remember my grandpa handing me a plate of greens once and telling me to eat it, and I said I didn't want it. And he said, "You put lead in your pencil," and I said, "I don't got a pencil." <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Oh yeah, <laughs> you're one of those." <laughs> I was like five or six. I remember it just plain as day. They used to tell me to put yeah, hair my, on my chest, and I was like, I don't want hair on my chest either. <laughs> when my grandpa told me about the hair on the chest thing, I was holding something. I don't remember what it was. I, I was way too – remember, the, the literal thing as a kid was rough because when my grandpa <laughs> told me that someone put hair on my chest, I took him seriously about that. So – when he hands me something that says put hair on my chest, I just would get this look, and I would just set set it set it right back down. So he hands me something here, let's put hair on your chest, and I just give him this, this terrified look and put the thing far away from me. Of course, like, he starts that's laughing. That's a big no. That's a big no. It's like yeah, you have another reminder. This one's very literal. Thinking literal. We're supposed to be doing nano aftermath. <laughs> we are. We are. And this is like, you know, how I feel after. <laughs> yeah. Even when I work hard, where I, I, I don't work hard as I did this month, I just kind of fucked around the whole month. Um, I'm all bleh afterwards. There is kind of a letdown period. It's kind of like, well, what do I do now? And the nano site, they kind of, they let you have that letdown period where they're like, um, they don't want you to do a commitment about editing until January. And it's like, but what am I going to do between now and then? (laughs) You're not going to keep me on task for the next month? That's not right. I, you I, this is something that's really interesting for me is that um, even though I slack-assed my way through Nano and didn't even meet 25K, even though I did complete my story to my satisfaction, um, I uh, I kind of felt like I couldn't work on anything else either. Well, that's It was weird. like, no, this is Nano. I can only do this. And I was like, and I, I was and normally that's not really a problem because I'm all gung-ho in my Nano. I mean, even last year when it fell apart, I still wrote in private and wrote 75K of, of crap um, that I still don't know what I'm going to do with. Um, and, um, but, yeah. There's just, you know, it's, uh, yeah. 
there was nothing there. And so I did split my quantum bang into three parts for um, editing, and I've edited, um, I've done my spell check and and half half assed grammar check of my own um, on the first part. And uh, I uh, I thought that I would have like a major rewrite, but having read through it twice, I really don't have a major rewrite. And that's weird for me. Um, but I plotted the fuck out of my quantum bank, and so maybe that's why. Maybe it's just, it's, there's nothing loose. There's, I mean, it's it's tight. It is tight. It's tight. Don't have any, it's just little stuff here and there. It was very weird. Um, so, what I'm going to do with myself? You'll have to just start something new. I know. Hmm. Or, you know, tackle one of my 100 plus works of progress. <laughs> one of those things. Or one that. Of, one of those. But there, there is kind of a a letdown period. There is a kind of a letdown when Nano's over. Whenever, whenever, the, whenever that is, whether and it's not just Nano, but for me, it's any challenge. There is kind of a when you know, when you're really pushing on something and it's done. Um, there is kind of this letdown where you're kind of like, oh, huh, now what do I do with myself? And it's not like you don't know, but you still have that that thing of like, well, what do I do with myself now? It's just very strange. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I try so hard not to finish super early in July because I've had that letdown where I'm done 10 days into the month and I'm I'm like, well, this made me really unhappy. I don't want to be done now. (laughs) Somebody should have told me I was going to be this miserable finishing early. (laughs) So here you go, folks. That's me. That's me giving that to you, letting you know that you'll be miserable if you finish that early. (laughs) At least I was. It wasn't a happy place. That's the thing. The thing. The thing. Um, the thing. So yesterday in the in the writers group, not our writers group, but the other oh. writers group, um, oh this reader, um, pissed a little fit, wanting to know why people um don't finish their works in progress. Why do you start a story if you're not going to finish it? It's so frustrating. Yeah. Poor little thing is just super frustrated by all those works in progress that she's not getting to finish. But one thing stuck out for me on the thread, and um, I'm not going to use any names or anything, but one of them said um, there was a, an author on there who um, had a reader die and who regularly read one of their works in progress, and they died before it was finished. And she felt really guilty about that. And the only reason she found out found out is because a friend of the reader contacted the author to tell her that her friend had died and didn't know and didn't get to find out the ending of this work in progress. I thought to myself, that is some emotional blackmailing shit. What the fuck is wrong with somebody that you would seek an author out to let them know that 
your friend died disappointed because they didn't finish their free fan fiction. Um, Man, that now, is I fucked had, up. I actually had a very dedicated reader. Her name was her name was Lise, and she lived in Canada, and she was um, um, in assisted living, and she got uh, cancer, and she read my work all the time. And her favorite now, see when I when she when I, when I first met Elise online, Elise online, she was um, she was reading The Awakening. And then she read um, what might have been, and I I remember when I was getting ready to post ties that bind, I was thinking about my little old lady in Canada, and thinking, oh my God, I hope she doesn't read it, <laughs> and if she does read, it, I hope she doesn't hate it, you know, because I just imagine this little old lady in Canada reading my porn, right, and then reading my really really dirty porn. <laughs> Because Ties That Bind really is hardcore compared to everything else on my site, right? And so right. I posted the first three parts, and there was no comments from Elise and no emails. And I'm like, oh, God, I upset my little old lady in Canada. <laughs> and then she sends me this email, and it is beautiful. And she's telling me how much she's enjoying the new series and how, how lovely it is and, and how romantic and um, intimate and sex. And it was just like, it was just the most amazing letter. Um, and um, she passed. She sent me an email shortly after I published, um, I think, A Lovely Agony. And um, she asked me how it would end. She said because she's going into hospice, and this will probably be the last time she, that we get to chat. So I told her how it would end. And about two weeks later, I got an email from her granddaughter telling me that she had died. And I was like, "Here's my little lady in Canada. She's gone." Um, but I did. T- but I did tell her how it would end. Um. And uh, it, it was, you know, and there was nothing about that situation or that um, or those emails that ever felt like I was being manipulated or um, she was just, you know, honestly a fan. She was a fan, and um, it just never felt like I was being manipulated or shamed for not having. Um, provided uh, the part, the last part, before she passed. There was never that indication that I felt like I was being, um, you know, manipulated or whatever. But I have had a reader email me and tell me that she hoped that she had breast cancer and that she hopes I finish Phoenix before she dies. I didn't respond to that email because number one, it was terrible, and number two, I, if she actually did have cancer, I did not want to be accused of abusing a cancer patient because I were I wanted to lose my shit. <laughs> but you know what? Though when I posted the North Star, I thought about it at least, and I thought I think she'd really like this part. I'm just I'm not I'm really mad she's not here for it. And I was like, I didn't, you know, not like, it was like a bittersweet, not a, 
you know what I mean? I I never felt like you know yeah. uh, that uh, yeah. She, so I just I I really feel like she would have really enjoyed the North Star, and I'm and I'm really pissed off that she didn't get to read it. That's sad. And it's I think she would have really liked Iterum because she told me once that um, one of her favorite tropes was time travel and there was never enough time travel in Stargate to suit her. And so when I was writing Iterum, I thought about her. Um, so There isn't enough time. There never will, it, it, especially in some fandoms, need all the time travel. All the time travel. <laughs> but time travel was really, you know, really slim pickings in Stargate, which is crazy because time travel is actually canon. <laughs> yeah. In Stargate. <laughs> That's just so weird. Um, and we, I mean, I, we, I've, I've, I've had you know, readers, fellow writers, betas who have died and n- I, I've never felt like anything was, Anything around in there was an attempt at emotional manipulation or anything like that. Um, and the times when it is, I mean, the person who did that was just being a complete bitch. That was just that was just pure bitchery because no one needs to know, no one needs to come back to that, that author and have said that to her. Um, it's just, to do that was obviously intended to cause that author hurt especially because it's not like it's not like she was trying to manipulate her with the fact that this person is dying could you because I've gotten that before it's like you have that people have written and said you know this is going on in my life or this awful thing is happening or um, whatever's whatever's happening and it, it, it would make things more bearable I would like to be able to read this or whatever could you get this sequel written um and I sometimes it stuff. seems okay, and sometimes it's like ugly. And I can't yeah, find well, the line. I haven't had any that I didn't think was inappropriate. Um, if I had had that situation where somebody said, you know, could you just let me know where this series is headed? I really like to know. I would totally tell them. Um, but usually it's more like, I mean, I have somebody write me and tell me about this, them getting divorced. And um, that if I would write the sequel to Journey Home, finish it, that it would make her whole situation more bearable. Um, maybe that was tr- maybe it's true that it would. I kind of doubt it, considering the thing she said she was going through. I sincerely doubt that my fan fiction is going to fix that. Um, but the whole thing just felt really. It felt like it was designed to be emotionally manipulative, and I just ignored it. So, um, and I've gotten the request on behalf of. Of oh you know a loved one could you please finish the story it's like no 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 um, anyway um, I think that I haven't had the encounter I haven't had the encounter really where now I have had um, I have offered like some works I hadn't finished yet to a couple people under specific search of circumstances that I found out that they were in that, um, and they had, and they didn't ask me, they just expressed to me that they really enjoyed a story. Um, and I knew they were in difficult circumstances and I just emailed it to them what I had of it. Um, 
unsolicited. They just they didn't ask me about it at all. There was no attempt to manipulate or coerce me to trying to finish that story for them. Um, they had just mentioned in another in a completely separate context that they had really it was one of my favorite works of theirs or whatever. So I just emailed it to her. So here you go. Um, that's actually happened a couple of times. Um, but it's just when somebody writes me and asks me to finish a story because of their terrible situation, I feel like I'm being manipulated. So I just ignore those emails completely. Completely, completely. Someone sent me this really emotionally manipulative thing about, and it wasn't even their tragic situation, um, but it was, the whole email was framed like the fact that I hadn't finished this story was like the most tragic thing to happen in their life. And the email ended with, I keep checking to see if you're working on this, but you never are. And I don't know, should I just give up hope and try to cut this out of my life, or are you ever going to finish it? I was like, oh. I actually told her I recommend Dear reader, <laughs> Dear so reader I don't have that right time to attend couples counseling with you. Sincerely, Jilly. <laughs> Be gone. But girl, get help. Seek help. But I have talked before about the um, the false sense of um, intimacy that um, can exist between a reader and a writer. Um, And I think that one of the things that I found really appalling about this thread in the other writing group, and I actually said it on the thread that that I found it appalling. was that these that that a bunch of writers came forward and were offering this person excuses, and I was like, you don't, you know, do you do you? But you don't actually owe these readers or these people any kind of excuse or answer to a ridiculous entitled question like this. You just don't. And it was, it's appalling the that they lined up one after another, dozens of them. Offer Doesn't. her their excuse. Yeah. Like they were seeking absolution actually, for having a fucking life. I don't know. It was it was infuriating. And the thing that I you know, and I actually I usually don't make it don't comment on the fact that a lot of the posts it's not just a few posts. There are a lot of posts on that site on, on in this writers group that are very reader centric and. I get that they, you know, that, pe- that a lot of the people in that group feel like there's some sort of weird symbiotic relationship between readers and writers and fandom and that, you know, we have to have each other. Literally, that was said to me yesterday. We have, we rely on each other. We're part of the same thing and da, da, da. And, um, nope. Like that there's some sort of, I mean, it felt sort of, I was starting to visualize in the Gould or something like it was sort of like a parasitic invasion. Um, but I was just, it was just so perplexing, but I get that that's their vibe, that they really, you know, they have that, that mentality of readership as currency. I get it. But if you want to have reader participation um, and solicit reader opinions about stuff, and they even talked about, you know, reader opinions are just as valid as writer opinions. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to call. I'm going to drop a flag on that one because when it comes to writing, I actually don't think reader opinion is as important as the writer's opinion. But that's me. But if they want to have that engagement with readership, and then somebody, you know, 
goes, well, some some of our writers are readers too. I would hope so. Uh, was that supposed to be profound? Um, but anyway, if they want to have that dialogue with the readership um, about asking, you know, what do you think of this or having them participate, it, that's fine. You know, whatever. I don't care. But there's a huge percentage of the threads, and I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna make a stab and say, thirty percent or so that are just very reader centric saying, oh, it's such a pet peeve of mine when people do this, 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 and this. Well, who gives a flying fuck? But anyway, but this whole thing about why do you start stories that you don't finish, that has nothing to do with writing. That has nothing to do with Supporting writers has nothing to do with propping a writer up. Has nothing to do with asking a writer questions. It doesn't. It's not about being encouraging. It wasn't even phrased in a way um, to be encouraging. It was just entitled whining. And so I said what I had to say about. Well, I think I think my comment started off something like um, <laughs> that writers aren't thick on demand. They're real people with real lives who have careers and families and other obligations. But then I made a comment about um, that I didn't understand why in a writer's group, something that was so obviously entitled reader, um, why this was even a question that people were entertaining. And man, you would think that I had just <laughs> um, that I had just told them. I mean, you, that you would you, you would. The way they acted was like I had just said that AO3 was being shut down for good. I mean, it was that level of tragedy to two people who proceeded to try to talk me out of my opinion. Or not talk me out of my opinion. They proceeded to inform me out of my opinion by telling me well, that's about the thing because the I do think that readers are currency. And so you must need them, right? You must need those cur- that currency. No. Nope. So... And then there was this pissy comment at the end of one of the remarks about, um, unless you're one of those writers who claims they just write for themselves. I'm like, I'm not even going to touch that with a 10-foot pole because I am that writer who wrote for, I mean, maybe you, and I wanted what I wanted to say, but I didn't because I was felt like I was already flirting with that line of being, of getting because Band. one of the people who was, yeah, one of the people who was trying to inform me out of my opinion was an, a moderator. Um so I, I didn't say this, but just because their frame of reference is that they've never written anything that they didn't immediately share with the world at large waiting for feedback isn't my experience. I wrote for two fucking decades before anybody ever saw anything I'd ever written. So, yes, I am that writer who writes for themselves, um, and you can just shove your disbelief right up your ass. I wrote, let's see, for I think the first time – Beyond my mother, who I don't think she counts as far as, like, sharing your work with other people, because that's your mom. <laughs> you know? And, of course, what 13-year-old wouldn't bring a book to their mom that they wrote, right? But right. I started writing when I was 13. I did not share any of my work with anybody until I was 28. And yeah. even now, I mean, if you guys, you guys can look at my hard you, you can't look at my hard drive because it's protected. But um, thank fuck. Um, but I would say that. Well, I have. I added it up actually, just my fan fiction. Hold on, I'll I'll, I'll give you a specific number. Specific number. I have it in a little folder in a little Excel spreadsheet. 
It's not a little boulder. <laughs> okay. So I have on my website, I have 2.7 million words posted on my website. Um, I have 2 million words in progress. Of which maybe 200,000 has been seen on EAD or um, wild hair. So I've got around 800, 1. what, 1.8 million words in progress that nobody has seen. Yeah, sounds about right. So, um, so no, I don't write for readers. I write for myself. <laughs> and there are honestly some things on my hard drive that no one will ever see because writing is a very personal um, endeavor. And there are some things that are just, you know, and that's just my fan fiction. Um, I have probably close to, I'm going to say probably close to 5 million words of original fiction that no one's ever seen. Yeah, definitely my work's in progress by by far. My work's in progress uh, from the last decade by far outstrip um, pup-finished work. Um, I wouldn't even know how to begin to calculate all the stuff from, you know, that's sitting on hard drives buried somewhere or in notebooks, you know, from when I was much younger. I don't think, I mean, I never throw anything away. So, I mean, that stuff's all somewhere, (laughs) but... You know, yeah, that's just digital stuff. Time. I couldn't even begin to count the other. Yeah, I started writing when I, I started writing fiction when I was twelve, and I started posting. So that would have been in nineteen eighty-five, and I started writing fan fiction in nineteen ninety-nine. Um, I guess that's actually fourteen years, not two decades, but it felt like it was two decades. I felt like I was in my thirties when I got into fandom, but I'm doing the math now, and I was younger than that. I was in my late twenties. Actually, I was in my mid twenties, um, but it was just so it was so snottily said about readers are a part of this group and their opinions are just as bad. Just because somebody doesn't read doesn't mean that their opinion is not valid, does it? Unless you're one of those writers who claims they write just for themselves. I'm like, oh fuck you, bitch! <laughs> just because you're, oh, and I could write that. that, I could tell what. Just right, I, they, I could tell they immediately. Comments that, on that thread. Yeah, because they claim they claim that the. Um, author, the author, the original poster wasn't engaging on the thread, which actually wasn't true. The original poster had come, replied to several people. So they just wanted to shut comments down because authors were getting pissed off. There were more pissed off authors than there were happy authors. Um, but it was interesting that their claim, and actually the original poster replied to you twice, I think. To me, yeah. But I so they responded. I, I, I said what I wanted to say and I was done. So, yeah. Then I came back to the comments and it was lost. But it was just, it was just they claimed that the original poster wasn't engaging on the thread, which wasn't true because the original poster had, which means that I think that they were trying to protect their reader writer, you know, the reader writer balance that they try to to ride in that group where readers feel like that they have an important voice in this writer's group. And it's not a writer's group. Let's be real. It's not really a writer's group when more than half of the stuff is bitching about how people write. 
right? More than half the content in that group is bitching about how people write, not to the reader's taste. That's not a writer's group. So one of the more interesting um, things is that since I turned the writers the um the rough trade group into the writers table, I've had four or five writers from that other writers group come in and answer the questions um why do you want to join um the writers table so I can learn how to really write. How did you hear so about can, us? Oh, from another group. <laughs> And every single one of them, the only thing we have in common is that other writing group. I'm like, okay, yeah, I mean, come on in. Don't bitch. You, you can you can join in. We're not going to, you know, that other group, which we will never – I may have actually said the name of the group. But we will never – typically we don't give the name of the group because we try to avoid that. But it's just, it's just so bizarre to me, the mentality um, going on there. Um, I just the bragging about stats drives me nuts. I uh, I have discussed my stats on my podcast usually because it comes up in a conversation or I'm, I'm using it to make a point. Um, I talked about it excessively when we're talking about how readers aren't currency and comments don't make any kind of damn difference. I mean, I love comments. Sometimes when I, when I don't feel, you know, my best, and I'm a little moody or a little depressed, I come over to my site and I read my comments because they make me feel better. But they're not currency, and readers aren't currency, and less than what? What was it, like 2% of my visitors actually comment? Less than 2%. It was ridiculous. We did the math. It was terrible. Um, so, oh, no, uh, the, of your visitors, it was, it was less than less than 1%, I think. Um, yeah, it was yeah, it was less than one percent. It was it was it was like point not point eight nine or point zero eight nine. It, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous, and that's the only reason why I would discuss my stats is we were talking about how they really don't um, that the comments and even likes or kudos are not an indication of how broad your reach is as a writer. Yeah, they, actually, they it's because- my comments certainly don't. It's because of conversations like that, unfortunately, is like people – I've seen some bizarre discussions where people will get into about – it's like they even – so you have the first level of these people are sort of like, oh, well, I won't – you know, if, you, if you're not somebody who engages with their readership, you know, all you'll get is the kudos out of me. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Um, you Feel free to keep your kudos because I don't give a shit. Um, but then I've seen other conversations where they're kind of like, well, you know, sometimes I just don't think that the stories, you know, I may have enjoyed pieces of it or whatever, but I just don't quite think it's worth a kudos. It's like, really? Now we're trying to ascribe some really big inherent value to kudos, and why do they do that? Because people are in there talking about their stats all the time like they mean something. And the stats don't mean shit. Come on now. I don't yeah, care how many kudos you got their stats. of their statistics. It's just ridiculous. It's just Yeah, talking, posting pictures, screenshots looks, of stats is just so weird to me. I don't know what to do with that. It looks um, – it's pitiful. Stop. It, it, <laughs> it makes me sad for you. 
It does. It makes me sad about the le- that level of validation that you're not getting elsewhere in your life, that you need to do this. It, it makes me sad, so stop. Um, but... I but I mean honestly I mean kudos kudos don't kudos don't they don't mean folks don't mean anything and I know some people get very excited to get to wake up um, I mean there were times I, mean, I always got the AO3 emails when I was posting AO3 I always got the email it would come every day around the same time and it would have a, it has the list of all the stories you have for anybody who's not ever posted on AO3 this is what you get is you get an email and it has all of your stories and there was activity on. And if it tells you the usernames and the number of guests on each story that you have published and that left kudos, that you can see how many kudos were left in the last 24-hour period. And it's a weird little statistic thing that comes in your email every morning. And I, I almost think that that email encourages people to obsess on stats. But anyway, I always had mine punted straight to the AO3 folder. Um, I never really looked at that because to me it was just one more email I had to file away every day. And I was over on AO3 every day anyway. I knew if people were looking at my story. So anyway, um, but people, so people are getting these emails and they get really jazzed about their stats. People have been, and I understand that it can be exciting, okay? I can understand it's exciting. You put something new up, and the next morning you get an email, and it shows you that people have engaged with you. And I understand that that can be an exciting experience, but you can't put too much weight on that, because the, the first time when you put a ton of weight and value on that, beyond the fact that it just made you feel good in that moment, um, when it doesn't happen, you're going to be crushed. And there will always be that time with every writer where they've written something that their readers don't respond to or whatever. That it's like you put it out there and it's crickets. And if you are really focused on 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 the validation of that and you feel really it's not wrong to feel validated when people appreciate you but if you're really focused on your sense of self-worth coming from your statistics and that reader engagement whether it's through kudos or comments or whatever or likes or whatever it is when when people don't respond you're going to be really hurt and so it's really important to me not to feel like you're getting actually garnering self-worth and even motivation through something that you don't have any control over. You have no control over that. I thought the story once, and it was crickets. I put it up, nothing, absolutely nothing. I got there was no comment, emails, nothing. And I thought, is, 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 I checked my email multiple times before it occurred to me to go check the site. My story was still sitting there in draft. <laughs> But it took me two days to actually wonder what the fuck was going on. But it was. It was like my first thought was because I my first thought because my I do get I just send the kudos report was the thing that goes straight into a folder is how I have the filter set up. But the email with the comments I could either toggle the filter on or off depending upon if I wanted to deal with my readers at that point in time. So they come into my inbox. Nothing, not a single comment for two days. And I was like, wow, my readers really didn't respond well to that story. And I didn't, it didn't make me want to stop writing or anything like that, but I did have this moment of like, wow, I must have really misstepped that one. 
And so finally I went to the, the site and I thought maybe the email system's broken. Maybe AO3 was down or they had an email system get broken and I'm not getting notifications. My story wasn't even posted. It wasn't even posted. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, if I worry about when people are that wrapped up in their statistics. Um, it is nice. Um, I, sometimes I think people misinterpret what I say when I talk about not to get wrapped up in that kind of stuff. It's like I don't like getting comments or kudos. But I'm like, of course I like it. But whether or not I write is not dependent on it. And I don't I'm not so validated by it that I need to share screenshots with other people in order to receive additional validation or to feel superior over them or whatever the fucking reason is that people would put screenshots up of their stats. I don't understand that at all. Um, now, I have seen people comment something like, this story has never gotten much attention or whatever, and all of a sudden like 50 people commented on it, and I think I got on a rec list or something, and it was so exciting. I can appreciate their enthusiasm, right? I understand that. It's like you have a story that has never gotten much attention, but you're happy with it, and you're fine with the fact that it's never gotten much attention, and all of a sudden there's a boom of attention on it. And you're like, where did this come from? I don't even know that I care. It's really nice. I wrote the story four years ago, but the attention today is very nice. And that's, I understand why somebody has enthusiasm for that. I don't understand the daily updates from people on how many people gave them kudos overnight. I think that's weird. I don't get it. But if it helps them get through the day, it's just one more thing, though, that keeps me out from doing anything that's losing that group. It's because there's no focus on writing. There's all this focus on how to keep readers happy and on all the validation people are getting. And that's not writing. That's not writing. And that's that writing. is actually, um, there is a subset of people in, in fandom who um, that is the entire reason that they're here. And you do you, but um, on a for real note, uh, fuck you. Because you create readers that abuse people like me. So, fuck you. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. Or in the not nicest way possible. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. They create readers that are abusive as fuck. Mm-hmm. When they don't when they don't get their way, they are intrusive. They are um, volatile. They they become threatening. Um, they get used to being pandered to, and then when they encounter a um, a writer who won't meet their demands, they are abusive and and ugly and entitled and honestly, just seriously, fuck you. Because um, Ella, are you saying good night? Like. For real or like ironically? <laughs> Did you leave? I think she left. Is it good night? Like well, good night. Door? I think she left. <laughs> good night. Well, leave a good night for the next time she logs in. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to you, that was like a shut the door kind of comment. Um. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and there I are, think we, that, we have to, you know, we, didn't we talk about that on the podcast about how, um, like, the worst behaved readers are created by authors, that these authors who 
like solicit all this reader feedback and change their story to suit yeah. readers, you know, in process. And uh, this bad behavior was created by fan fiction authors. Um, this has to has been brought to you by. And the funny thing is when you listen to these readers and writers talk who engage in this dynamic, they act like it is so obvious that this is the way the world works. I'm like, you you get that it only works this way in fandom, right? Because this doesn't work this way in with professional writing. It doesn't work this way with I – mean, do you think George R.R. R. Martin is having these kind of dialogues with his entire little readership? I don't think so. Well, they, you know, they they, who was it that came out with that whole article about how George R. R. Martin was not their bitch? Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually did re- did have a re- reader. This is about, oh, God, I don't know, maybe like seven or eight years ago. Um, I had a um, a reader in one of my professional works um, pitch a fit because I had um, pulled several books from publication because I wanted to rework them. And um, um, she lost them. Um, and she buys them again, and she was furious, and she emailed me and um, demanded that I send them to her, and I refused. And um, she she pitched wow. an unholy fit. She pitched an unholy fit about this, and emailed my agent. She emailed my agent, and my agent wrote back and. Told That, that I was a professional author and I worked on commission, and then issued like a copy of those two books that would be ten thousand dollars each <laughs> for non-exclusive rights to read it <laughs> because, <laughs> of course, I wouldn't have an agent who wasn't as big an asshole as I am. <laughs> of course not. That's hysterical. But people do that. They'll just write you and go, I demand this. And you're like, really, do you? People write me. I'd say about once a week I get somebody writing me, asking me to send them one of my prior rough trade projects that I haven't posted yet. I was like, that's funny. (laughs) I mean, oh, you're not, you're serious. That's, oh, and here I thought you were being ironic or something. Bless your heart. Um, Um, Slytherin Black. It's cute that you think it works that way. Um, Slytherin Black is one that happens with the most, by far, by far. Um, but lately, um, I've gotten, I think, three requests in the last month for subversive. I don't know. All I can think of, since it's kind of come out of the blue and it's been several people, um, is that it was discussed somewhere that I'm unaware of. We discussed it on the podcast. Well, we did, but you'd think people who heard me talk about it on the podcast would have the sense not to write me. <laughs> you would think <laughs> I could be wrong I, I'm crediting people with a little bit of modicum of sense my bad <laughs> mm. you made a rhyme so Claire said up above in the chat room that um, someone talked about how they were going to take a story down in one fandom that wasn't getting the attention they wanted, take it down, strip the names out, and resubmit it in another fandom. 
I I would think I'd have to have a lie down over that too. I'm glad I didn't see that. Um, Cause they talk about telegraphing what you're in it for. Because I can't I can't just take I can't just refandomize. I can't just I can't my stories you can't just strip out can't just change the names and have everything still make sense. That's just crazy. I'm I'm writing that in that fandom. I just Man, maybe it was a complete AU, but there would have to be a whole lot of characterization changes and stuff, right? Yeah, right? you can't just, I would, I would, maybe not for them, but I don't know. People I don't know how that works. Because the other thing that came up, was it yesterday or the day before, um, was the person who made it, made that comment about, has anybody take, has anybody turn their fan fiction into an ebook and put it on Amazon and if so how's that going for you? I I I had to walk away from that before I had an aneurysm. Because what I noted like is that she wasn't saying have you stripped out your fan fiction and made it original and put it on for sale. She was asking have are you selling your fan fiction and how is it working? I noticed that too. I was like um and the thing is, people kept talking about how to strip out um, the fandom. People kept making well, the comments to, about stripping We know out. who to blame for that. Yeah. People talked about how to strip out the fandom elements and make it original. Um, but that wasn't the question she asked. She asked who had taken their fan fiction and made an ebook out of it and put it on Amazon, which uh, the way it was written – made me think she meant, like, just, you know, or worse, download the EPUB straight off AO3 and post it. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I just saw Mary's comment. Why is Harry in Hawaii? Why does Draco have an ex-wife and a daughter? Yeah, that's exactly what happens when you... And don't even get me started on the fact that everybody on that thread was like the first person who commented on that thread spelled copyright wrong. And then everybody after spelled copyright wrong. And it's like, you guys get this right with an R, not writing creatively like a W. They're all spelling it with a W, copy, like, right, like I'm writing a copy. Uh, maybe that's why they're confused at what a copyright is, is because they don't understand how the word is spelled. <laughs> I'm writing my copy. It's a copyright. No. No, 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 no. Poor thing. That's not how any not, of that works. That really is not what that means. <laughs> I, you know, you know. Yeah, I wrote Kira like fact, she, has the, she has the answers to the mis- life of all life's mysteries and goes, why are these bitches all spelling copyright wrong? Uh, <laughs> because they're dumb. Something, something about them being idiots, yeah. <laughs> But no, there has been, the thing is, this may be, this isn't an age thing, but it is a new to fandom versus old in fandom, right? There are people new in fandom who are 80, and there are people old in fandom who are, well, I don't know that you can be old in fandom and be 26, which you actually might be able to if you were a really precocious Um, (laughs) 10-year-old. But the people, people who are new to fandom... They don't. They didn't live under the threats of being sued, and they didn't live under 
uh, websites disappearing overnight because the servers were seized. For, you know, based upon copyright violations, and um, they didn't live under they didn't they didn't go through those days. And people were trying to protect themselves with disclaimers that don't really do anything. Um, there was a time when it was very difficult that the fair use um, provisions in the law that allows fan fiction to exist, um, either as fair use or as a transformative work. That 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 cre- the the content creators were fighting very hard against the existence of fandom. And a lot of archives like um, fanfiction.net um, and stuff, they wouldn't, you know, if, if, a, if a writer wrote them and said, I don't want fanfiction in my work, they would just remove wholesale that whole category and any works associated with it. And Rice. Um, and um, yeah, we're talking about it was man. difficult. It was very difficult to be. Um, people worried, were they going to get sued? And, uh, and they had to be careful about what they wrote and, 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 and it'd be very clear that it was fan fiction and make sure they said very emphatically that they weren't making any money on it. They had no intention of making money on it. And so for those of us who were around during that, it would never occur to us that you could profit off of fan fiction, except for this small group of stuff that Amazon has done where they've either bought the rights or stuff is in the public domain and they're encouraging fan fiction to be written and published on Amazon. That's completely different. That's the case of where you're basically, you know, either bought rights that you're allowed to use if you publish under their program, or it's stuff that's in the public domain. Okay, so setting that aside, um, in general, you can't profit off it. You cannot make any money. And people who are newer to fandom don't get it. They, they, it's clear to me. It's like I look at it and I go, oh, yeah, um, these people, they're, they're new because they think that they can make money. They think that they can somehow turn, leverage their popularity in fandom into money. And the only way to leverage your fandom popularity into money is, is to go write an original novel. And I don't mean strip out the names and turn, you know, to scrub your fan fiction and turn it into original fiction because that's walking a pretty precarious legal line. And I think it's kind of janky anyway. Um, but they just, they have, it's like, wow, you're new, aren't you? And I don't mean young, but I mean new. You're new. You're new here, aren't you? You don't get how this works. So people who've been around fan, fandom a while assume when they see a comment like that that this person means to scrub their works and make them original. But these days, after seeing all the people with their price lists and stuff for writing fan fiction, I'm thinking there are more and more, this is people who think they can just put their fan fiction up for sale. And they're going to ruin it for all of us, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. I cite, there's a disclaimer on my site, there's a disclaimer on Rough Trade, there's a disclaimer on Wild Hair. <laughs> I have a disclaimer on my site too, um, but it used to be people were putting disclaimers on every chapter. You didn't put anything up that didn't have a disclaimer, and the hope was that it would legally – the disclaimers were like it was going to legally protect you. Um, I do the disclaimer. It really won't. If something's going to come after you, those disclaimers are not going to actually protect you legally, but I think it's always worth reminding people that you are not profiting off of this and that it is not your intention to profit on it which is why I keep the disclaimer up on my website, is that I am not making money off this in any way, and I don't intend to make money off of it. 
Yeah, but it's just it's it's just so bizarre when I see these these things popping up, and it's like people kind of come in, they try to gently tell these people, you can't actually make money on fan fiction, and these little snowflakes think like, well, why not? It's my creative stuff, and I wrote it. Duh, duh, duh. Well, <laughs> but did you or did you just borrow somebody else's stuff? <laughs> you may have written it, but if you want to be able to sell it, you're going to have to come up with all the original content yourself. Harry Potter really does belong to somebody else. I don't care how you feel about it. I, you know, I, I do have a disclaimer, and I do have two professional works published under Kira's name. Um, I just discussed myself in third person. Uh, and, you know, you could say that I leveraged um, my fandom popularity um, to make money, um, and it's true. But every money that I made on both of those books um, that were entirely original works went back into funding rough trade. <laughs> yeah. I have to, I mean, I I would totally if if my any popularity I have in fandom helps me sell orig- books original works if I have ever finished them, that would be great. Um and the number of books I'd have to sell to recoup the web costs I've put out is staggering. So I, I'm not counting making a ton of money off of anything in any time in the near future. No, I mean no. I mean there's no way that um the 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 sales that I've made actually pay for Rough Trade or my own site. But but they help. Every little penny helps. Speaking Every of it's about helps. donation time because we're at the end of the year and I'll be upgrading the um I'll be not upgrading but uh, re upping the server for um, the sites, so every little penny helps, and I truly appreciate it. And um, remember that the cutoff day for posting is the 5th, and we will clear it off next year um, in time for April's challenge. we got 35 seconds left. Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone.